You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. And it's Monday again. Mondays. They suck. Anyway, hopefully, hopefully this podcast makes your Monday shine just a little bit brighter and it gives you something to take your mind off of work while you're in the car or on the treadmill or wherever it is that you listen to this podcast. Hopefully uh, this will brighten up your day. Now today we have another uh, really cool podcast. We're going to be speaking with a guy from Maryland. His name's Joel White and Joel is going to do a product review podcast with us today. He is going to talk about heater bodysuits, Easton Full Metal Jackets, and what was the other one? Oh, Millennium Tree Stands. So these are products that he has used now for a couple years, if not longer. And uh, he's going to give us some input on on all three of those, his likes, his dislikes. And uh, by now, you guys have uh, heard enough of these to where uh, you kind of know the questions that I'm going to ask. But uh, this is where it gets good. And... Uh, this is where we take the information that we learned from uh, Joel or any other guy who's done a product review podcast. Real, real guys who are using these products, probably similar to the way you're using them, and uh, basically if they get the pass or the fail, and uh, what are some of the you know positives and negatives about these products, and uh, if the positives line up and uh, you're okay with what the negatives are, then uh, maybe. Maybe that's the product for you, and if it's not, hell, it's not. But uh, yeah, it, now in regards to these product review podcasts, if you guys have noticed that I have been forgetting to ask a certain question uh, on some of these product podcasts, whether it's the product review podcast or the gear podcast where I'm actually interviewing someone, uh, a representative of the company, make sure you guys are sending me an email or uh, send me a message on Facebook or something and say, hey, man you forgot to ask this question. That way I know when uh, the next podcast comes up with maybe a similar product, I can uh, be sure to ask it. So uh, you guys you guys uh, can keep me in check as well. So before we get into this week's uh, or this product review podcast with Joel White, why don't we hear what Exodus Trail Cameras has to say about their five-year warranty? Well, the first thing I'd say about it our- you know, our five-year warranty is, is that 
it's not one of those warranties where unfortunately like a lot of companies in this industry in any industry for that matter you call them up you know you have an issue with a product and you kind of get the runaround about every other you know circumstance that could be at fault except for their product so you know so many times i've called other camera companies back when i was using other products and you know they try to blame it on batteries or sd cards or give me the runaround about this or that and, and it got so frustrating after a while that nobody would stand up for their products that that was a big part of what in a, what went into our five-year warranty you know our warranty we like to call it a no bs warranty so if you call us up at four years and 362 days we're still going to take care of you no matter what and that's our guarantee so one is just having a warranty that actually means something and isn't just kind of a marketing tool was really big to us. But the reason that we're able to do that is because, uh, one, because of our direct-to-consumer model, which I'm sure we'll talk about more. Two would be the fact that we build our products to last and not to just turn around to get you through another year and then you can buy more products. We build them as tools instead of novelty items like a lot of companies, unfortunately, are still doing. When companies are in these big box retailers, everybody's fighting for the bottom dollar. Everybody wants to try to make a, a profit margin. And there's a lot of different people trying to get their money out of, out of these products. So what happens is quality ends up getting driven down. And that's the number one most important thing to us here at Exodus is putting out products that we, we're not going to lose sleep at over at night, you know, wondering if they're going to stand up to the test of time. And, and that's something we hang our hat on and we're very proud of. Five-year warranty seems pretty good to me. So if you guys want to find out more information about their warranty or any other benefits of the Exodus trail camera, be sure to visit exodusoutdoorgear.com. And uh, now let's get into today's product review podcast with Joel White from Maryland. All right. On the phone with me now is Joel White. How are you doing today, Joel? Doing just fine. Now... Before we started recording, recording, you said uh, that you were on vacation for an entire week. Where were you at? Uh, we went to Orlando. We were in Disney World. That's my wife's favorite thing. So I love to make her happy, and it, it works out great because that gets me a lot of time in the stand later on in the year. <laughs> <laughs> so you may not like it, but but she likes it. So that's kind of like you know the brownie points thing, right? It, it works out great. My kid, my kids love it. My wife loves it. I like not working. But it's not something that I go, oh, I'm just, I just can't wait to sweat to death and walk around in Florida. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I have a feeling that is in my future in, in about, oh, three to five years, depending. But uh, how old are your kids? Uh, my son's 15 and my daughter's 12. And, and the, we've been doing that every year or every other year since they were about your kid's age. So, I mean, it's, 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 kind, of a, it's kind of a big deal now. Nice, nice. Do they enjoy themselves? I mean, as a 15-year-old boy, I would think my interest might change a little bit, but do they have Correct. friends there for 15-year-old yeah. boys? Yep, it's 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 good. They, they're they riders. They like to do stuff, you know, as far as, like, you know, crazy thrill stuff. So there's enough okay. stuff for little kids, and then there's enough stuff for when you get old enough, you know, to want to do whatever you want. It, it's, a, it's a full deal. Perfect. So. Well, we're not going to review Disney World on this podcast, but, <laughs> but, uh, but what we are going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about some products that you've had some experience with. But before we get into that, uh, Joel, why don't you tell us where you're from, where you live, and what you do for a living? Uh, I live in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, I originally 
from Kansas City, Missouri. I grew up there. Uh, I went in the Navy and ended up out here on the East Coast and got married, and that's where I've stayed. So um, I grew up hunting out in the Midwest and then had to adapt to this uh, uh, this East Coast stuff. It's, it's pretty cool. I tell you what, you don't hear a lot of people make that shift from no. the from the no. Midwest hunting to East Coast hunting. It's it's always the opposite. But yeah. um, but you do you hunt majority like made a majority of your time in uh, Maryland, or are you somewhere else, some other state? No, I hunt. I, I deer hunt here in Maryland, um, and and then usually we'll go back every spring. Uh, take one of the kids, and we'll go back and turkey hunt with my dad in Missouri. Oh, nice. Um, so, so, so that's a lot of fun. And I, I've turkey hunted since I was about five. So that that's really I love that. And and I, you know, I'm a big deer hunter too. But it's to me, I, I can't. I haven't quite got to the point where I can do a couple big trips and go there and here. So I just kind of right. fill the freezer here, and I'm working up to you know want to take some western hunts and and work in. Uh, weeks vacation midwest and start doing that my my rut trip but i'm not quite there yet yeah 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 so are you in are you in the service still or what do you do for a living no i got i got out about um about 12 years ago and became a general contractor and so now i I design and sell kitchens and bathrooms um so so my background was building and then i got into you know the design side of things and so so that's what i do now i enjoy it so i got a buddy who uh lives in he's an acquaintance but uh, he lives in maryland and mm-hmm. uh he has some pretty decent bucks there uh yep. out, out where he lives what are what kind of deer you got running around maryland depends on where you're at you get west you get out west and you're in the mountains um i'm gonna say you know like if you see a deer that's you know probably 120 pounds and you know a buck 20 that's going to be a really good deer but then you get out you get out towards like the eastern shore and you know we, you get into a little bit of cropland and you know maybe towards delaware um you can get some pretty big deer because you know it's it's ag yeah. so you, you know you can find some decent deer there the, the problem is it's just so so can it's thick and absolute nasty woolly and then some fields so it just depends on your access okay okay so almost uh, like how- some weird texas stuff and I tell you, he was telling me, you know, because he was, I, I've seen some video of his and he had, you know, some crop, some corn that they were growing out there and whatnot and uh, gigant, you know, big, big body deer. But um, how did your, how did your 2015 season go? Um, deer, I, I haven't shot a really, I haven't shot a big deer for a couple years, about three years now, just kind of holding out. Um, but I, I did fill the freezer. I had, uh, I had one decent buck and then um he was kind of a cold buck he was weird looking he had like a he's like a four point but he almost looked like a pronghorn <laughs> we got okay. some weird genetics on this one farm that i'm at and every once in a while you'll see a deer that comes through that looks like it basically has a pronghorn rack on it and it's a fully matured mature deer it's just a weird trait so uh i took that one and then uh three does and filled the freezer and then i uh, had a successful turkey hunt um out in missouri this year with my my son he we we were able to crawl within about 20 yards of, of a turkey that was hung up and, and get the deal done. And so he was all jacked up. So that was fun. Oh, nice. Nice. So, uh, do you run trail cameras at all? Or, I mean, you, you, is there anything that's got you real excited for this upcoming season? I, I don't have anything good on trail camera right now. And I'm, and I'm kind of in a quandary because one of the, the best farms that I have access to hunt, the, the, 
the guy's kind of changing up how he does access and there's all kinds of people in there now. So I'm, I might have to do a lot of public land stuff. And I have two really small parcels that I just put cameras out on about a month ago and I haven't checked them yet. So, but they're little, one of them's like 14 and the other one's like 15 and they're okay, but it's one of those, you almost have to just stay out and not even touch them until the rut. So I need to find something else to do so I don't burn them up. Right. Right. Hey, I tell you what, even in Iowa, I got to deal with a little bit of that. Uh, one of the best farms I ever hunted um, before I got into all this blogging and podcast stuff was my grandpa's buddy and or my, excuse me, my buddy's grandpa. And uh, he owned, uh, you know, 480 acres and he had some <clears throat> other guys. He had some other guys on there, but uh, they ended up selling it. But what that forced me to do was learn to adapt and move and learn how to knock on doors and learn how to, you know, what to say to people to, you know, to gain access to their farms or maybe not necessarily gain access to the farm, but be able, you know, ask permission, you know, get my foot in the door. Hey, can I shed hunt or can I turkey hunt or something yeah. like that? Yeah. So, so uh, hopefully you got something. If that doesn't work out for you, you got something else lined up. Uh, we'll, we'll work it out. We got to eat. So we'll figure something out. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Well, and then I take you're heading back to Missouri again uh, in the spring for some yeah. more uh, turkey. Yeah, we'll do that. We got there. We got there early this year. It was the very beginning of the season. Um, you know, like right when the opener was. And right. I guess we were a touch early this year, and they were still. Um, I don't know what you call that. It's like bachelor groups of toms running around all together, and it, they were tough. You would think that they would come to anything, but a couple weeks later, I think would have had more success. So they'd gobble their heads off, but it was it was tough business. You just had to kind of um, you were calling in big groups of jakes and stuff like that. So that made right. it tough business. But that's that's always on tap for the spring. The kids really enjoy that, and that's you know it's not all day. We get to go out there and stay with my dad, so he likes seeing the grandkids, and then we get to you know just piddle around in the afternoons, and then just get up early, and you're done by lunch. So nice. it's fun. Nice. All right, so this is a product review podcast, okay. and uh, you threw a, you threw an email to me a while back, and you said you had some products that you uh, wanted to review with me. Uh, one is the heater bodysuit. The next is Millennium Tree Stands, and the other one is Easton Full Metal Jacket Arrows. So okay. um, uh, I think what we'll do is we'll just start right at the beginning, and we will talk about the heater bodysuit. Uh, it's a product that I've... I've actually looked into, but have no experience with, um, and uh, I think that's a good place to start. So, what what I want to know is what was the trigger for you to to maybe do some research on this product, and why did you buy it? Um, I would say just because of not wanting to be cold in the tree stand. Like, I mean, I know that sounds kind of cliche, but you're sitting out on a long day, you know, all day sit or something like that, and I'd usually freeze out, and usually it'd be my feet would get cold or my hands or something would get cold and I just kind of go on. Oh, you just make up an excuse just to bail it, you know, maybe like later in the morning when maybe you could have made it till lunchtime or one o'clock or something like that. So that was kind of what got me thinking about it. And then I took my, I used to take my kids hunting when they were little and used to stick them in a sleeping bag and, and they'd sit up in a double ladder with me and would, you know, kind of zip them up to their neck and that, and, and it's this similar principle it's a little more expensive than that, but it's also a little, it's a garment. It's not just a, it's not just a cheap sleeping bag that, you know, you're in that'd be noisy and getting caught on stuff and hung up in briars and everything else like theirs would when, you know, you get them packed in. Okay. So 
my first question is how much did it cost you? And the second question is what's it made out of? Uh, it was, it was three hundred seventy nine ninety five, and it's, um, I'll look real quick and see what it's made out of. It says it's polyester. So it says polyester tricot camo cloth. And then it has a, it has a DuPont wind barrier and 300 grams of thensulate. Okay. It's also treated with a water repellent. Okay. So does that water repellent work? Yes. Yeah. I would, okay. I would say it, it's not, it's not water proof, you know, like it's not a, any kind of thing that's meant to be rain gear, but at the same time I've been out in it in in a heavier rain or in, or something that'll really soak you down real quick is if you get in a decent snowstorm and it just sits there and lays on you and soaks in, this thing didn't do that either. I mean, I've been just covered before and it didn't, you know, it didn't gain weight and just keep absorbing water. Okay. So the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, I walk to my stands and some of those times I walk through mud or even, um, you know, I, I have my my uh, muck boots on and I either stomp through some mud or uh, have to wade through some water and my boots are dirty and my boots are wet. Now, is there some type of lining in the bottom of it or have you noticed any type of wear in the bottom of, uh, bottom of this uh, heater bodysuit when, you know, your feet are really dirty? No, I, I actually um, inspected it and got it out and unrolled it and looked at it before we did the podcast, just trying to see if there was any, if I had any issues with how it was holding up, it's five years old. Um, and it peeled up a little bit, you know, in, in some areas like where the quilting is, where the insulation is up higher and down, you know, towards like the inside of the legs. But I flipped the inside of the, you know, it has like a different kind of looking material all the way down where your feet are. I don't know if there's less insulation there or maybe there's just a different type of fabric so your boots don't get hung up on that but that wasn't really worn or stained or anything at all and i mean i do the same deal like uh, a lot of times you know you'll come through and your your boots are just absolutely soaked by the time you get to your stand and you know sometimes you just sit there and they dry out by the end of the hunt or they don't and i'll stick them in dead wet and i don't notice any difference at all and it doesn't it doesn't seem like it's it's retaining water. It's not like you open this thing up and put it on three hunts later and the inside of it, you know, smells wet or anything like that. Right. Right. So, so it's drying out. Okay. Okay. So is it easy to clean? How do you, how do you clean it? Just wash it. Um, just wash it. And I usually stick it out and like line dry it or hang it up somewhere in the basement. And then like right at the end, I'll throw it in and stick it in the dryer for a little bit, but it's doesn't machine washable. Okay. Uh, so no wear, no tear on the inside after your five years, easy to, fairly easy to clean. Um, yeah. how small does it pack down to for transportation purposes? Um, so it's basically like a, like a really, um, it's like a really dense sleeping bag. You know how a sleeping bag is kind of fluffy. It's not like that. It's, it's more like a garment. It's more like a jacket. So it's, it, it's big enough like a sleeping bag, but you basically fold it on top of itself you know, and then roll it up really tight. And it's about, I don't know, I'm going to say maybe 20 inches wide. And then, you know, the, the width of the roll is less than 12 inches. And it has these two little straps that you, they're connected that you like, it's almost like a little harness and you click it on there kind of like to keep a sleeping bag rolled up like that same principle. And then that's what I'll use to like attach to my pack and just put it on my pack. And it's seven pounds. Okay. So it's, is, I mean, it's fairly easy to take in and out of the timber with you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not any harder than if you're, you know, if you're going to take in a pair of bibs 
and a jacket or something like that and dress light and pack all that stuff in, it's smaller. I think it packs down better than that because it's one thing and then you're not trying to, you know, get dressed with all that stuff in the stand or climb up like a Stay puff marshmallow, you know, up into your stand. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, uh, I can remember two years ago, um, there's a company called Arborware and I have like a couple, I'd say three of their hooded sweatshirts and they're double stuff hooded sweatshirts. And if you have uh, never heard of Arbor, Arborware, it's a company that makes um, clothing for arborists. So, you know, it's durable, it's real tough and whatnot. And they use it when it's up in the tree. And uh, anyway, they have, uh, they have these double stuff hooded hoodies. And I can remember wearing three of them at one time and my arms were out away from my body like I had these giant bodybuilder lats because I there was so much material I couldn't I couldn't put them down but that's what I had to do to to stay warm. Yeah. That was before you know that was before I made the transfer to Sitka. But um, right. you know something like something like this makes a lot of sense. Now the question is, are you having to wear less clothing because of this now on the way into the stand? Yeah, I'll I'll dress, I'll dress in as minimal as I can basically base layers, you know, like I'll, I'll wear like a, my bottom's usually like a, I don't know, like a scent lock Savannah cargo pant, like, which is pretty early season type stuff. And so I just have that on. And then like a, I don't know, like a, almost like an Under Armour base layer, something like some cold gear. And then maybe a, a vest, you know, just a vest over top of that. Or I'll just wear like a, you know, like a wicking t-shirt and like my fanatic hoodie. And that's all I'll wear in. And so I'm, you know, leave that stuff as open as you can and, and just get in and stay cold the whole way in. And then, you know, then bundle up once you get on stand, but at least you're not sweating. Okay. Or you can regulate now, it better. Right. Exactly. Now, when we, when you get to the tree stand, you know, you climb up in your tree, how difficult is it to put on once you're up in the tree and ready to put it on? Um, the first, the first time or two, you're going to look at yourself and go, what the heck did I get myself into? I'm, I'm going to be dead serious. You'll be like, what am I doing up here? But <laughs> but it, it's like anything else. Once you have a system and you figure it out, then you realize, okay, I really need to, I need to open this thing up and, and get it, you know, just lay it down in front of me and get my feet in it and then just stand up and pull it up. You know, you're not, okay. it's not like you're trying to get dressed in the tree stand. You just sit down and basically just stick your feet in there. And once your feet are in, then you just pull it up. Okay. So it's fairly, it's fairly easy to get into now, yeah. now zippers, right? It's a zipper mm-hmm. in the front and there, there's no arm. So it's basically, you're in a cocoon. Yep. Um, is the zipper quiet? Is it loud? No, it's quiet. I, I was kind of surprised. I expected, I'll be honest. I wasn't expecting the quality of this garment. I kind of thought that I was just getting a giant camouflage sleeping bag with legs is what I thought. Like, my wife was really giving me a hard time on this one. <laughs> you know, she would she'd tease me and say, call it my man Snuggy and that I'm going out <laughs> hunting in the woods. And I was like, all right, whatever, I'll take your heckling. But I'm able to stay out all day in it. And, and it was really quality was my point. It was the zipper was really quiet and it doesn't, you know, sometimes you're, you get a zipper that's that long, or, you know, you're doing that much travel with the zipper. You're bound to either catch something or it gets hung up or wants to get off track. And it really doesn't. Okay. It's got like a little lanyard inside. It's it's pretty easy to to grab. You're not figuring out how to get out of this thing. So, have you had any instances where, you know, you're you're in this 
heater bodysuit, you're nice, you're, you're relaxed, and all of a sudden a deer that you want to shoot comes trotting by at a fairly decent speed. I mean, have you had any instances where um, you, you know, you, you were caught off guard and you had to struggle to get out of it, and maybe you missed an opportunity because you first had to unzip yourself out of it? Um, I have had that happen. I just didn't. I didn't really get hung up in it. It wasn't a big deal. You, you, what, what I do is I try not to keep the thing zipped up right against my neck. Like I, uh, to be honest with you, I get hot. I actually get hot in it. So I'll, I'll leave it zipped, unzipped probably about 12 inches. And a lot of times I'm, I'm either reading a book or doing something like that. And I can keep that down inside of that thing, you know, so that I'm not making any movement. I'm just looking down at that. And if anything happens, you just kind of drop it inside of there. You know, like, so you got your phone or anything happens, you can just let it ride in there. And the worst that can happen is it drops down by your feet inside of the garment. It's not going anywhere. And then, and then you just kind of take your, you just kind of take your hands, kind of like you're praying and and just kind of spread them out. And the thing just kind of falls off you and it has shoulder straps that keep it from falling all the way down to the platform. All right. It's quiet. It's uh, quiet and Mm -hmm. it's, you know, you can, you can get in and out of it easy enough. And then yeah. it sounds to me like you can also regu- regulate. So if it's yeah. extremely cold in the morning, but then in the, you know, midday, it kind of warms up, you can zip the zipper down and, and breathe oh, yeah. a little. Yeah. You could just take, if you want, I've done before where I've taken and just kind of unzipped it all the way, like to my waist and just kind of left it, you know, it's on me, but it's just kind of at my shoulders. I'm not really, I guess I'm in it, but I'm not, there's not enough heat going on. There's enough heat loss with the zipper open that, you you know, you can really, regulate that okay so would you recommend this to other hunters who you know ha- have to battle the cold every year yeah i, I would i actually i bought one for my brother-in-law um and he loves it so it was one of those things where he was teasing me for being a press and i said all right that's fine and you know just went back and forth he was teasing me but at the same time he was always eyeballing it so, right, right. so I was like, all right. So I got him one a couple of years ago, and he really likes it. So I, I would, I would recommend it. Uh, the biggest added bonus that I'd say that I didn't expect was you can get away with a ton of movement because your arms aren't outside of this thing. So you can kind of you can move around, you can flex, move, wiggle your fingers, you can right. drink a cup of coffee or something. I mean, you can really get away with a lot of stuff inside of this thing, and everything is contained. You know, your movements can concealed. Right, right. So, have you? Uh, what's the coldest temperature that you've hunted in it in, oh. and, ha- and felt comfortable? Um, it, it was nine degrees was the coldest that I had. So okay. I was I was out on a morning hunt and had you know it was, it was really cold that morning and I was comfortable until lunchtime. Okay, so did you get out of the stand because you had somewhere to go, or did it, did it actually get so cold that even the heater bodysuit didn't work? No, I just, I just wasn't, it wasn't, it was late season. It was January and I was just trying to hit one of these transition spots and I could have sat there until midnight and it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have seen any more deer than I did. So I gotcha. I gotcha. So, uh, you would, you would recommend this to other hunters. Um, good. Okay. So overall you're pretty happy with it. I'm satisfied. I mean, I would, uh, what I would tell somebody is it's not the cheapest thing in the world, but I don't think it's any more expensive if you, than if you were to buy, you know, like a really, a really nice quality gear system. Like if you went to, you know, uh, one of the, anybody that does layering systems and bought an entire system, you'd spend way more than this. 
Yeah, that's a fact. And, and so has it allowed you, and it sounds to me like it has, but has it allowed you the, the ability to change the way you hunt? Oh, I can go lighter. I can go a lot lighter and go in, go in with, you know, like a, a single layer and go right up to the top of a mountain or whatever and just really hike my tail off. And I can actually put more and put a little more weight and have a little bit more comfortable stand set up because I don't have as many clothes when it's really cold. So you can, you can adjust your, you can adjust your setup, you know, your run and gun setup a little bit and do something a little different because you're not trying to pack a bunch of extra junk. Okay. Sounds good. Well, there's that one. Now let's get into the uh, Millennium Tree Stands. Now, I'll be honest with you. I I do a lot of running and gunning uh, throughout the season, you know, up and down, up and down. And um, I use a lone wolf for that. It's built perfect, built perfect for that. It's small, lightweight, whatever. But uh, this year at the beginning, you know, I'd say a month ago, it was in July sometime. I was debating on picking up another tree stand, whether it was like a Millennium or one of those Hawks that have the seat basically built in and it would be for a rut spot where I would be sitting all day long and basically just waiting, you know, waiting, you know, you know, I want to be as comfortable as humanly possible. Yeah. And I looked at, I looked at a couple millenniums. So on this, what, first off, what millennium tree stand did you get? So, all right. So I, mine's, mine's an older one. Like I got one when they first came out. So it's a little bit heavier. The closest that I can say is the M100 is the closest to the one that I have. What they did on the the M100U or whatever, it's it, they basically just made it itself levels, and then the platform is instead of being like the the aluminum bars that go across, you know, horizontal bars going across, they changed it to like a it's you know like it's a, it's a web. Right. You know what I mean? Like the like yeah. the steel like you know how the steel grate look, except for it's not steel. Okay. So what other, I guess, what, what were the things that were going through your head when you decided, I mean, how old, how many years have you had this tree stand? Um, I've had this stand for, gosh, I don't know, uh, I guess maybe seven or eight years, probably maybe more. I'm not positive. It's close to that. Okay. So when you decided to buy this, do you remember how much it cost? It was around 200 bucks. Um, 200 bucks. So it's, it's towards, it's towards kind of like that upper hang on price point. I mean, at the time, cause it was, it was about the same price as what a lone wolf was then. And I borrowed my buddy's lone wolf and I'm a big guy. I'm like, I'm, I think we said it earlier and I can't remember if it was in the one that got cut off or not, but I'm six six two eighty. So like I have to have a really, really stable platform and it can't be too small. Otherwise my knees end up too flexed. Like the seat height has to be high enough so that I'm not, you know, jammed down in this thing and I can stand up. Right. Okay. So when you, when you were were looking for tree stands, what were some of the things that had to, this tree stand had to have or had to do for you to purchase it? Um, it had to be, my biggest things were just comfortable and it had to be quiet. I mean, I'll, I'll put up with a little bit of weight if it's rock solid or, you know what I mean? I'll sacrifice in another area. If, if, if I can stand on the very outside corner of that thing and it doesn't make weird noises on me. And if I can like stand up and the, the seat's not doing funny stuff. And so the thing that attracted me to this style of stand, cause this, that was, I don't want to say new, but it was, 
really the only people that had a seat that looked like that, you know, eight or nine years ago. I mean, everybody else had, you know, kind of a solid that changed the padding or whatever, but they were one of the first that had kind of a sling seat that went all the way from your back, you know, to behind your knees. Okay. So is, does this millennium have the seat with the back support or is it just the, the swing seat that is the fabric between the two bars? No, it's got the back and everything. It comes all the way, okay. all the way down. The cool thing on a run gun that I like about this stand, and it's still the same on the new ones, is it, it's got a little, it's got a little bungee at the top of the seat on either side. One side, one side holds, and it goes around a little button, and one side holds the seat up, and one side holds the stand closed. So when you when you go to hang the stand, you you know you climb up to. I use lone wolf sticks, and I climb up to the top of my sticks. And I hang this little metal receiver, little aluminum receiver in the tree. And so I hang the receiver up and then I'll have my, I'll have my bow. And usually I have my pack on still, my harness and everything. And I'll have my bow. I'll use two, um, you know, two ropes. My bow's on one and my stand's on the other. I'll pull the stand up and I'll set it. It's got like a post looking thing that goes down in this receiver. And then you all do at that point is just undo the, you know, the, the part that holds the platform. So I'll leave the seat up the entire time I'm doing everything I'm doing, get that set up and get clipped in with my harness and then, you know, get my hanger up and then pull my bow up. But I don't have to make a bunch of trips up and down to mess with this thing. You just kind of go up with the receiver, basically, once your steps are up and then everything else is ready to go. So is the receiver something that you set before the season or is it something that uh, you can strap to the tree? I mean, is it with a chain? Is it with a... a strap similar to like what a lone wolf has or how, what describe so it that? Came, it came with a, it came with a chain and I used it one time with the chain. I was like, well, I'll never do that again. And right. so, so then I like modified it. And since then they basically sell uh, a thing that's the same modification that I did to it, where it's a, where it's a cable, you know, it's a nylon strap, you know, that goes around like a ratchet, almost like what you'd have for lone wolf sticks, like, go around and then it and then it hooks in on the other side and what i would do is i just use the like a lock-in carabiner style thing to clip on the other side like i basically just cut the chain off and put two two big rings on either side of it and that's how i do it and they have a better version of what i made you know now that they sell on the website where it's it goes through and it's everything's nylon you don't have that chain anymore and it's i take it it a lot more quiet Oh, it's way more. I did that, and I was like, I was like, that's one thing I absolutely hate about this stand. I'm going to fix it, and I fixed it before the next hunt, and I haven't had any complaints. You know, it, I like it, and it was a lot lighter than having the chain, also. Right. Exactly. Now, is there? I, I take it it's fairly easy then to set this receiver up and then pull your stand in and just slide it. I mean, is it, does this, does this tree stand work in crooked trees? You know, um, Mm -hmm. it does. Yeah. You here's what I'll say. It, it, it'll work in, it'll work in a tree. If a tree's too crazy, what'll happen is you'll all the, the reason the stand is so stable, all your weights way out, you know, where your toes are. And it's, it's kind of, it's really skinny as it goes. Like you're, I don't want to say you're way, way away from the tree, but it's not like it's got a really small platform and all your, all your sheer weight is kind of hanging down the tree. It's almost like you're, you're out on the end of it and you're kind of pressing in like a, like a fulcrum. You're pressing back in and, 
and you know the two teeth that grab the tree you're putting a lot of weight on that like it's hanging in the post and then the rest of it keeps it really stable so you have a couple different points on it if you get something that's that tilts forward so that your toes are down that it wants to move around on you so you got to find some type of flat spot in this you know to make your setup work so if you go up and something's really crazy you can level it just a little bit but not a ton not as much as i can in my muddy or my lone wolf okay all right so so i will so, say that that's a knock okay. against it i gotcha i gotcha so with it having a, a little bit of a bigger platform for you have you noticed any a noise or additional movement or flex of the tree stand as you maybe stand up and walk out towards the edge of the platform or move from the end closer to the tree no, it's it's pretty it's really rigid. I mean, more, I, I was I was impressed by it because it was a little bit sturdier than I thought it was going to be. And the, the the two things I'll like a couple things that I did to it that they have you know a bunch of this stuff that you can buy now. But I basically I put a pad in the seat, um, and then I also put a pad like they make like a big felt pad that you can put on the bottom of your tree stand. It's like a I don't know, it's camouflage on the bottom and black on the top, and it's got felt on both sides. And right. I put that on it because I don't like that. I don't like wearing, like you said, like rubber boots and you're, you're, you're wet and you got to move on that thing and it makes a little squeak or it does something. I want no noise when I'm, you know, moving around on the platform. That didn't add anything for stability, but it did make it super, super quiet. Okay. And is that something that's, that they sell on their website as well? The, the, to cover the foot? The... Yeah, the foot thing they don't, but the seat pad they do. Okay. But but also they've changed the design of the of the platform and it may not be an issue now cuz it's cuz now it's like the great style whereas before it was you know the one that I have is the the lateral bars going across like the ladder style and those are just kind of notorious for you know if it's wet you know that's one long surface to kind of squeak a little bit underneath your feet. Right. Exactly. Different you know different design. All right. So how much does the one that you have weigh? like 15 or 16 pounds and okay. the the new one is 11 and a half like i've even thought i've even thought oh, i don't think i need the new one i haven't done it yet but so in in conjunction with the uh you know the very first product we talked about talked about today which was the heater bodysuit and now you have this this seat that you're sitting in in a tree stand is it fairly comfortable oh yeah this that's my that's my go-to all day it. like i i won't i won't take this if i'm just going it like say it's just an evening hunt or it's or it's just like you know you're gonna have a few hours but if you if i'm gonna have more than four or six hours or if it's gonna be an all day or or i can only take one stand for you know a, a few days and i'm gone then i'll probably grab this because it's it's something that you could sit in all day and not go oh I'm, i just have to get down and move you know you can stay in it and just not move okay so it's uh supports your back because that's one thing you know from playing sports all those years and basically just tr treating my body like shit yeah. is i have bad knees and bad backs hey, you too i got and, it yeah i'm in the same boat so it's you could s sit all day long and you won't be feeling it it's more com how about this i'll make this comparison i just drove back from florida on vacation and my tree stands more comfortable than my car seat for 12 hours <laughs> so how about that Okay, I'll take that as an answer. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. So, um, is anything else that sticks out about this tree stand that you really like? I mean, 
has it held up to the abuse? I mean, is there any physical damage to it over these the paint, seven years? Yeah, the paints come off of it, and I have to spray it with, you know, like it's got like this brown, I don't know, powder coat looking paint on it. And I've had to touch that up because I just beat that stuff to death throwing it in and out of the truck. But even even that, like some things that you wouldn't think would hold up, like those two little uh, elastic, you know, things that at, at the top that go over those little metal buttons, you would think that stuff would just be destroyed over those many hunts, and they're just fine. And I know they sell replacements, but I've never had to replace any of that stuff. Okay. Uh, what about the seat? Uh, any puncture wounds in it or anything like that? Mm-mm. No, it's it's pretty – you'd have trouble. I mean, I guess you could try to jack it up, but you'd have to try. I mean, it's it's pretty sturdy stuff. I don't think – it's not like it's a really soft stuff that's kind of looking for problems. You know, like especially like your sticks, like uh, the pegs on your lone wolf sticks are pretty sharp, and if they're jostling around in there, you'd think that's something that could eat this thing up, but it, it hasn't. Okay. So – are there any other positives or negatives about this tree stand that you'd like to cover? Um, the one that I have, I would say it could be lighter, you know, by the time you add sticks and you, you know, you have sticks and you have, I don't know if they factor the, they're telling you how heavy the tree stand is. I don't think that they factor in that bracket because that bracket is also in your pack and that bracket is, I don't know, a couple pounds, maybe right. two or and three then pounds. Obviously it's a hang on. So yeah. you have to have to get in, you know, depending on how you're using it. Right. Yeah. If you're, if you're driving a truck right up to where you're going to set the tree stand up, it's not a big deal. But if you're hauling it a half a mile from right. your truck, you know, that's, you got to take into consideration. You got to get up there to it as well. So there's that. Um, yeah. I've, so, I've thought about trying to have multiple setups and using a few of those receiver blocks in different places. And I don't know, it's so dense where as far as like, I don't want to say hunter density, but just people density where I'm at that I think it'd get jacked with. So I just, I take everything in and out with me. I mean, I have a couple ladder stands that are locked up, you know, stuff that I hunt with the kids, but all my other spots, I know where that tree is and I can go right to it, but I still set my sticks up every time and climb in and climb out. Unless maybe I just know I'm coming back that evening or the next morning I might leave something up, but it's dicey. Stuff gets stolen so bad here. Okay. So would you recommend this product for other to other hunters? Uh, I would absolutely because they can't buy the one that I have. The one they, w- they would buy would be lighter than the one I have. So I, I think that was my biggest complaint is the weight. And now it's like, you know, a few pounds lighter, which would make up for the receiver block weight difference. And I think that would offset what I'm complaining about. So I would say, yeah. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So on to the third product. Uh, that uh, we're going to review today, and that is going to be Easton Arrows and specifically the Full Metal Jacket. Now, I can tell you I actually have experience with this. This is um, – I've been using Easton's for, I think, two years now. I made the, yeah, me too. Uh, I, ma- I made the uh, switch from straight carbon to something a little bit heavier last year. So why did you decide – you know, obviously there's – thousands of different styles of arrows out there, you know, several different brands. What, what made you end up with a full metal jacket? I lost the biggest deer I've ever shot because I didn't have an exit wound. And I won't, I won't completely put that on my equipment because I think I could have made a better shot. I think I rushed right. it a little bit. And I think if I'd have waited 15 more seconds, it was one of those things where you're like, he's going to leave, he's going to leave. And you're like, 
So then you hurry up and just let go. All right, he's getting it. And you let go. And and he had one foot down, and I couldn't tell if he was going to either – he was either going to step towards me or he was going to be completely walking away from me, terrible angle, and he was about a buck fifty. You know, he's a really nice deer. And right. I let it rip, went straight down through him, and I got single lung, and it didn't come out the other side. I hit opposite shoulder, but it didn't didn't come through, no exit wound. And I just remember thinking, I'm so close, and I'm, I'm you know – I'm a big guy. I got a full power stroke. So, I mean, I'm shooting a heavy bow with, you know, a whole lot of length on it. So, you know, speed isn't the issue and kinetic energy isn't the issue, you know, shooting a decent arrow. And I was just disappointed. I thought, you know, I need, I'm going to go back to, I'm just going to go back to shooting a log out of this thing. And I want the arrow sticking out the other side, no matter what I do. Right. And so that's kind of what I shifted to now, you know, full disclosure. I mean, I think I probably could have, in hindsight, maybe waited for a better shot angle, but it's like, I, I just wasn't having the pastors and stuff that I, that I used to, you know, when I was shooting heavier arrows, it's like, I had all this speed, but I was just kind of getting deer that were taken off with an arrow in them or breaking it off. Whereas before the arrow sticking in the dirt on the other side and, you know, then you're working on a blood trail. Right. And that's the thing, you know, a lot of us, you know, you could be very critical of yourself and say, Yes, I could have put on a better shot, but is if if every shot was perfect, all products would perform exactly the same. Right, no matter what. You know what I, I, mean? I get no it. No matter yeah. what. Yeah. So, and in your reason for moving up to a heavier arrow is the same exact reason that I moved up. I hit a buck, and there was not a pass through on it. Um, if you, you know, the listeners, you probably heard a story of a, a buck I called shipwreck. I hit him and it didn't go all the way through. And I buried into like his, his, his spine, uh, the, the bottom part of his spine, I think, and, uh, didn't, you know, cut through that bone or it hit anything, something happened and it, there was no pass through. Now I feel that if there would have been a pass through, I would have had more blood. I would have probably yep. found, you know, killed that buck and found him, but, uh, he, he ended up living, but, but that is the same exact reason why I, you know, I wanted, uh, a stiffer arrow. Now, when you, what, what, what were you shooting before you upgraded to the so, I've been shooting carbons for, you know, a, a few years now. I haven't been in aluminums for, I don't gosh, it, it's been, I don't know, 15 years ago. So, I was I was shooting carbon techs, uh, carbon tech whitetails for a long time, and then I switched up to um, carbon express maximas. And I, so I was shooting carbon express maximas when I had this scenario. Now those arrows were super durable; you could shoot them all over the place, and they they didn't really break. I didn't have a lot of issues with anything going on with them. I I liked those arrows. I just kind of made a shift and thought, Hey, I remember when I had a lot slower rig with a super heavy arrow and I blew through everything. I want to go back to that. Right. Okay. And so it, it was just kind of a, I don't know, it gets a, a change, a change in how I wanted to do things. I didn't want to have, it didn't have to be blistering fast and shoot out the 60, 70 yards flat trajectory. I, I was just more concerned with, I'm going to shoot things that are less than 30 yards most likely. And I wanted to go through them and stick in the ground. So did you know, I mean, did you also increase your spine when you jumped up from, uh, I guess, jumped up from the carbons to the FMJs? Uh, just you, a touch. Yeah, just, just a, a touch. touch. 
Yeah. Okay. Because I went, I went full bore. I'm shooting a, a 12 grain uh, per inch arrow right now because I I didn't want to take any chances with, I'm with anything. You. I think I uh, my arrow is probably legal for African a lot of African game. Hey, did you did you look at the at the dangerous game ones? Because I considered them, but I didn't. I just didn't ended up not doing it. Right. They have I the did, yeah. I know, did that look arrow. at those because they they go even higher than yeah. the twelve grains that I have. Yeah. But uh, no, I I didn't. I, I looked at them and thought, hmm, maybe I should, but no, I decided to. <laughs> I'm with you. Because it's like drive. It's literally like driving a Mack truck. Yeah. When you bump up that to uh, that heavy of an arrow. Now, did you notice because you bumped up in spine and um, got a little bit sturdier of an arrow? Did you notice your accuracy increasing at all? So here's what I, the biggest thing, like the the first couple of arrows I released out of it. Be, you know, I mean, obviously I had to play around with it and do a little bit of tuning. But the first couple arrows I released, the thing that struck me the most was the accuracy was was just fine. It was really similar to what I had before. But I was blowing through my block target. Like, I mean, I was all the way. I was worried about like sinking it all the way through and being into the veins. Like I shoot blazer veins, and I yeah. I was all the way to the vein and just. And I, I shoot almost full shaft because I have a 31 and a half inch draw length. So that's a lot of arrow going through there that's not quite stopping yet. So my my knock on the arrows is the same reason that I bought them is the same complaints that I have about them is that if you go and shoot 3D or something like that, um, you'll blow through a lot of things like my target home or my 3D target home is better than some of the stuff I'm shooting and when I'm out and about. And sometimes you hit the spot in the 10 ring where, where everybody shot that thing out and you'll smoke right through it and you'll tear up veins and need to refletch an arrow. That's not the arrow's fault. It's the target's fault. Right. Right. Yep. And I've had that same exact issue. And I did that when I was, so that deer that I hit and, you know, made me change a whole bunch of things other than arrow. Mm -hmm. I also jumped up from, 70 pounds to 80 pounds on my bow. I, I started shooting a way heavier arrow and uh, a little bit because I went to Idaho last year. And so I wanted a fixed blade because they don't allow mechanicals. Yeah. So now, now I got a fixed blade broadhead. I got a heavy arrow and I was shooting 80, 80 pounds this year. I I'm dropping back down to 70 again and, and reciting in everything again. But, uh, but you know, still going to use my FMJs. That's where I'm at. I'm a, I'm at yeah. 72. I, I found that when I was, I did the same thing. I went way up and tried to get at the top of everything and just be maxed out. Yeah. And then, and then I found that I didn't shoot nearly as much as I did when my bow was a lot lighter because it was just a lot. Right. Exactly. So <laughs> I don't know. it's related, maybe, but <laughs> it is. It, you know, in a way, you, you got a heavy, heavier. Uh, you know, if you bumped up to 80 pounds, it's going to take yeah. a little bit more energy out of you to, to shoot, you know, and I like, when I shoot, I like to shoot quite a bit and, yeah. uh, you know, trying to be some king, you know, some stud and say, oh, I shoot right. 80 pounds. Well, you know, if you can do it, do it. That's awesome. I did it yeah, for, about you it. know, three years, but I just realized now I, where I hunt right now, I can, I can shoot, I can do everything with my, that I need, need it to do at 70 pounds. So. Um, what else? Oh, now you mentioned a little bit before we actually started recording this about some, you know, 
after you're shooting them in the targets for quite a while, uh, some of the durability. Did you have, do you have any issues with the durability? I will, I will say that the, the reason they do exactly what I wanted them to do. I mean, they will absolutely dump, you shoot at a deer and there's, if you don't pass through, you'll knock it down. So, I mean, yeah. there's been times where it'll, it'll either pass through and stick out on the other side, or you'll shoot a really big doe or something. And maybe, maybe she's quartering away and I'll hit the front shoulder and it may not pass through, but it takes her to the ground. I mean, there's enough, there's enough oomph to it that it, it really, it's like hitting them with a hammer. So right. it does what I wanted it to do. So I don't want to complain about that and, and then, and then say, Oh, but they're, but they're this or they're that, you know, cause it did do what I made the change for. But the thing I will say is they're expensive to shoot because I do find that with being so much more penetration and, and doing what they're designed to do, it brings up a new set of problems that I didn't have with my other arrows where they're blown through stuff. Or, um, I will say that the back end, maybe I could do something different with like a, a knock bushing or something like I used to shoot, but I just have, you know, like a, I've lighted knocks in there now. And when I'm just using my practice stuff, I'm really beating up the backs of arrows and they don't take much abuse. Like, like a carbon arrow you can hit and it'll kind of split the knock off or run up inside the other arrow. This, if you touch anything on the back of it, when it's sticking in the target, it wants to, it wants to ding it up. Like it wants to kind of fatten out and blow out the back of that, you know, where the, where the knock goes in the back of the arrow. Right. Right. So, I mean, have you had any issues with straightness after, you know, because nah. what I, what I do for mine is let's say I get a dozen arrows, regardless mm -hmm. of if they're, you know, they're East. And this is what I've been doing my entire career is I would buy a dozen, right? I mm -hmm. would have, I, my quiver would hold three or four. So I'd have yep. three or four arrows that I just set aside. Yep. And then I would have my practice arrows that yep. were all, you know, yep. they, you know, they were all, that's what I used to practice with. And then when it came to hunting, I would take those same arrows. I'd shoot them a couple times, put my broadheads, you know, my test broadheads on them, shoot them a couple times, make sure that there was no flaws in, in the shot and then head back out and, uh, yep. um, you know, use those as my hunting arrows. But, uh, did you, have you noticed any issues with straightness? No, I haven't had any real straightness problems. I mean, one time it was kind of what we touched on earlier, where you run an arrow through a target and it hits something pretty solid behind it, and you jack up an arrow. But I can't, I can't put that on the arrow. I just had to put that on what I was, what my target was. You know what I mean? Like what I shot at wasn't wasn't sufficient to to slow and stop this arrow without damaging it. So I won't, you know. But at the same time, I do want to make the point though. It, it could you do that a whole lot even though it's not the arrow's fault the arrow doesn't cost any less when you do that so exactly you're you're still at you know 12 15 bucks a pop if you make that mistake and and you know your wallet feels the brunt of that right now here's a question it's kind of yeah. unrelated but related at the same time how long do you think a dozen arrows should last I don't, I want to, I want to say that I want to get a couple seasons out of them. Right. Like, I think they should be durable enough that I could shoot all my work up and all my warm ups, you know, and to be ready for the season. And then depending on how successful I am in, in the season, you know, like if I clean miss on an animal, I, you know, unless I hit a big rock or did something crazy, I want that arrow to still be straight enough to shoot again or, you know, anything you're doing at a target, I guess I'm not losing a whole bunch of arrows. So I'm, I'm, it's not like all of a sudden I end up this season and I have three arrows left. So I'm not really worried about that. But I, I did notice that 
um, before when I had carbons, I could, I could go a lot longer without having to replace arrows. Okay. And like you said, you know, these arrows, some of these arrows are designed to be shot a lot, you know, like the, mm -hmm. the guys who shoot a lot of target. And then you got the, like some of these arrows that are designed specifically to kill an animal, right? <laughs> right. They, they're, they're durable. Right. So it's like, what do you want? I, I want, I'm going to buy an arrow that is awesome at, you know, has great kinetic energy that's going to kill a deer you know, pass through it, I might be able to use it. But for me, if I damage the arrow while I'm hunting, it's because that's what I paid for it to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? So well, that's like trying to call a bullet back or anything else. You know, you exactly. don't, you don't, you don't complain and say, Hey, I couldn't shoot that same box of, you know, whatever cartridges, you know, multiple times, I guess you're going to reload, but it's the same principle, you know, muzzle loader or whatever else you're not looking for slugs after you're done you shoot them and they're spent so if you can do anything and get more than you know one used to it i guess i guess i was spoiled because i was doing so well and i had a streak where it's like i was on the same you know 18 arrows for a few years and then all of a sudden they started getting gnawed up and i was i was mad <laughs> <laughs> i don't know maybe maybe i just had a good run i tell you what i'll be honest with you i go through arrows really fast um, and it's not because, and it's not because, uh, it's, it's probably because I'm a dumbass and because, you know, I'll have one or two arrows a year where I'll shank them just yeah. because I'm not paying attention like I need to be or, yeah. you know, and then, then you, uh, kill a couple deer and the arrow's bent so you can't use it or, you now know, you're down to seven and you're exactly. going, Oh man. <laughs> now it's pitch, it's pitch black, dark. You're walking to your tree stand through some tall weeds. Uh, you get up in your tree stand, you hang your bow up and you look in your, look at your quiver and you're like, where the hell that arrow go? Yeah. So, and then you can't I'm, find I'm down it. One. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You might find it during shed season, but yeah. that's after like a tractor ran over it or something right. like that. Right. And now you're, you know, next thing you know, you're, you're down to six and then it's just like, Jesus, I just spent 140 bucks on these things. Yep. I'm with you. So, well, hey, man. So I guess the last question is, are you going to stick with FMJs or are you going to try to find something different in the upcoming I don't know. years? I, so, so I was, when I bought these, I was between these and uh, Carbon Tech Rhino, which is, I guess, would be the same equivalent as the, the FMJ Dangerous Game. You know what yeah. I mean? As far, as far as, you know, from that standpoint. And I used to shoot those and really liked them. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll go back to that because of what I'm complaining about these. But I'm lazy and I don't want to change my setup. And this works really, really good. So I think I might just stick with them. And if I if I did anything different, I might go narrower. They make like a really small, you know, diameter version of it now. Yeah. And I think I would I think I would switch to that before I'd go and completely change everything over. Because I've been happy with them and I haven't had... The reason that I changed was because of pass-throughs, and I have I solved that problem. So I don't want to, you know, like pick up a new set of problems for changing something else. Exactly, exactly. So. Well, I tell you what, man. Uh, barring all of the, you know, the uh, technical difficulties we had right at the beginning of the show, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. Oh, and, no problem. Uh, coming on the show and uh, doing some product reviews for us. Yeah, I was happy to do it. Had had a good time and enjoy the show. Keep it up, man. And I tell you what, try and, you know, this is going to launch tomorrow. So hopefully your, your Monday back after vacation won't suck as much. 
hey, it, I'm I'm selfish. I'm gonna have to listen to a podcast of, of myself instead of hearing somebody <laughs> else's cool stuff. It's like hey, I know what's coming. <laughs> and there we have it. Monday's podcast is done and over with. Now I'm not gonna be responsible for what you're gonna do the other seven hours at work or however many hours that you uh, work. But uh, go find something else to do. But first off, I want to thank Joel for coming on the show. Thank you very much for spending time with me today and uh, passing on this information to the rest of the listeners. Also, huge shout out to you, the listener. If it wasn't for you, this podcast would not be possible. Also, huge shout out to Exodus Outdoor Gear. Seriously, guys, if you haven't already, from one hunter to another hunter, Go check out their trail cameras at exodusoutdoorgear.com. And if you do decide to purchase, there is a discount code you can get, and that is nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers, no spaces. And uh, it will allow you to get $20 off your purchase. So there you have it. Other than that, Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, follow me, follow me, follow me. Uh, Leave a review on iTunes or anywhere else that you download the podcast. And uh, it's that time of year, guys, when, I mean, especially for me, it's going to be one of these next three weekends. I'm going to be spending about, oh, 10 hours in the woods setting up my tree stands for the year. And uh, it's, it's about safety first because if you're not safe, then you can't do it the following year. There's too many bad stories about guys losing the ability to hunt because of something so simple. So if you're out in the woods, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week.